0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Welcome to the Mini Break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, June 23rd. Look. I know we've only seen 9, 10 days of grass court tennis so far in 2023, but with the start of Wimbledon quickly approaching, the biggest storyline right now in tennis, outside of any result we saw on Friday on both the men's and women's side of things, is we still don't have a clear-cut list of contenders entering the year's third major. Now, of course, on today's show, I'm going to get into everything we saw unfold on an exciting in quarterfinal Friday in the tennis world. I want to break down all the action from London, from Halle from Birmingham. Unfortunately, rain wiped away play in Berlin. Still plenty of fun tennis for us to discuss here on today's show. But before I do any of that, let me unpack what I meant when I said there's no clear cut list of contenders right now. On the men's side, that's not exactly true. Novak Djokovic is unequivocally the number one contender for a singles title on either the men's or women's side of things, entering the 2023 Wimbledon. He's won the event so many times over the years. He won it in 2021. He won it in 2022. He has perfected the art of peaking at the majors, at least it appears thus far, here in 2023. And again, given the delta in pedigree, in track record of success, and just total matches played on this surface compared to all the other top players in the world right now on the men's side, the delta is just so large between Novak Djokovic and the rest of the field. And even the recent finalist, Matteo Berrettini, he's not healthy. He's not playing his best tennis. Last year's finalist, Nick Kyrgios, he's not healthy. He's not playing his best tennis. Yes, Novak Djokovic is the unequivocal favorite to win the Wimbledon men's singles title. But the thought exercise I ask all of you to explore throughout the course of the weekend and feel free to share your thoughts with us at AL Gruskin at Cracked Rackets, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it is you're looking. I don't have an Instagram. I know my mom's going to hear them the first two minutes and be like, oh my God, Alex is on Instagram, but I'm not Cracked Rackets is at Cracked Rackets. So let me know your thoughts as we get into our Wimbledon previews next week. I don't know if there's a clear-cut contender. I mean, certainly you've seen Stefano pass one and two in his grass court matches this year, and he doesn't exactly have a track record of success on this surface. Yeah, Medvedev's been solid over the years, but he takes a tough loss that we'll explore today in a matchup that's just always been tricky for him in Roberto bautista goo. And, you know, again, that's now three consecutive events where Medvedev's failed to win consecutive matches. So, yes, he is more broadly on the contenders list. He's earned that benefit of the doubt, but he's certainly not an unequivocal contender. He hasn't done anything to earn that sort of status entering Wimbledon. Alcaraz is Alcaraz, and he looks better and better with every passing match, but he's still played fewer than 10 matches in his career on this surface. And, you know, with Sinner having to retire due to injury today in Hollow, with guys like Fritz, and, you know, again, Hachinov has to withdraw from Wimbledon due to injury. I know Rublev got a win today. Runa got a win today. But all of these guys, do you feel confident picking them on this surface? Not necessarily against the 60th or 80th best player in the world, but against their peers. Like, I don't know why I used like there. If it's Runa versus Rublev... Are you confidently leaning one way in that matchup? If it's Fritz versus Casper Ruud, are you? Well, you might lead towards Fritz, given Casper Ruud right now is enjoying more time following the weekend. The artist, by the way, well deserved. Uh, then focused on preparation. Well, that's not true. I'm sure he's plenty focused on preparations for Wimbledon and not exactly not getting his match, uh, his court time and training in, but. We haven't seen him play a grass court match this season and there's no track record or, you know, again, th- yeah, there's just no track record of success. That's the best rec- uh, best terminology to use on the men's side. And so, you know, all these top guys, they've, uh, they're they all in the conversation. I mean, we just saw Tiafa win a title. he's clearly can have the goods on this surface. I think a guy like Alex Diemenauer, who's won a title on this surface, who's into another semifinal this week in, I believe, London – Uh, He's playing good tennis as well. And again, Alcaraz is Alcaraz. Runa is Runa. They're going to be successful on every surface eventually in their career. The question is, can they do it already? I got a lot of question marks on the men's side. And it's going to be tough coming up with a definitive Clear-cut, you know, again, with how well Sebi Korda's playing, how well his size, in theory, if he's healthy, would translate to the surface. And we've seen him make a second week before. Could he sneak into that men's conversation? It's why I'm locked in this weekend on the action in London, in Hala, because you do have guys like Demon, Korda, Alcarez, Runa, all alive in London, in Hala, even the list of Zirev, RBA, Rublev, Bublik. They're all guys who, again, given the limited sample size of matches we have, given what we've seen via the eye test and what they've offered us through these first weeks stats wise, why not? Why can't all of these guys capture or whatever they do this week in a bottle and ride that through two weeks of momentum in London? You know, and that's just the men's side. Certainly you look on the women's side and again, unfortunately no action in Berlin today, but tell me why the winner of Matova Alexandrova isn't the fourth isn't fourth on the list of contenders entering Wimbledon. I know Barbara Krejcikova in winning today in Birmingham reached the first semifinal of her career on grass courts, but there for the first three months of the year, she was one of the five best players in the world. And her ability to move forward, the length of her ground strokes, how flat and low she can keep the backhand, the slice she can play, her ability to protect her serve. Why couldn't Krejcikova in theory, who's made a second week as well, why couldn't she make a run at Wimbledon and obviously I'll talk about her win today over Fruvertova where I thought she played particularly precise tennis but you look beyond Krejcikova I know Pagula has been a sure thing we haven't seen her since she lost to Mertens in the third round of Wimbledon you know again Coco Goffs are in the benefit of the doubt she hasn't had a bad loss this season but she hasn't had a definitive top 10 top 20 victory in a big spot yet this year either and so You feel like she's going to get to the third, fourth round, but who does she draw beyond that? How does she do after that? Players like Kvitova and Pliskova and Azarenka who may have more of a track record of success, have any of them been particularly impressive? Over the course, not just of the grass court play in nine, ten days, but over the course of the past two months, I know Kvitova is into the quarterfinals this week in Berlin, and you got to have your eyes on her, certainly, given the track record of success. But she didn't win a match from Miami to now. And, you know, again, are you really going to put all the marbles in the basket of Petra Kvitova? And, you know, again, Sviantek Sabalenka, Rabakina, doesn't matter the surface. They've earned the benefit of the doubt of being the top three, but, you know— None of them, I mean, I guess Robachna is the reigning Wimbledon champion, but it just still feels like she's still so young in her grass court career. Sabalenka, semifinalist at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, but wasn't able to play the event last season, obviously. I mean, I can keep going. Samsonova in theory, sure. Mukova in theory, sure. Potapova's looked really good this weekend. It would be the trajectory she's on. Why can't she make a quarterfinal, semifinal run at a slam? She's done it at 1,000-level events, so sure. And then are you ever going to write off the Madison Keyses of the world if she could get hot? Again, I think Kudermatova's playing really good tennis. I haven't even mentioned reigning Wimbledon finalist Anjabur, who obviously struggled to kick off her grass court season, but it's one week for Jabur, and it's, again, her first match on the most different surface we have in this sport. And so the reason I bring all of this up, the reason this is my opening monologue as we enter championship weekend here on the ATP and WTA Tours once again, is pay attention. That's the theme. You need to pay attention to what happens this week. If you are someone who likes to prognosticate or has discussions with friends about what's going on in the tennis world, you know, again, the smartest thing you can say is Novak Djokovic will win Wimbledon. After that, it's anyone's game. Because that's what the results tell us. There was a stat today that appeared on Tennis Channel that I retweeted, and I think Jose Morgado, I want to say, sent it out. And so shout out to him for, I suppose, bringing it to my attention. And by the way, I know some of you might be listening to hear this. Do you want an Adam Steinberg reaction today? Obviously, m- former Michigan men's tennis head coach. Wow. To say former, that hurts me. Uh, former Michigan men's tennis head coach, my coach, uh, Adam Steinberg, leaving the Michigan men's job, headed to Florida. Look, Florida's an do you guys want a full reaction today? I don't know why I'm asking you as if you're going to be like, yeah, or eh, we're good. We'll see how long this podcast goes. Maybe if there's time at the end, I can offer you all a br- my brief thoughts because I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later. But all that is to say, again, Jose Morgano did tweet out a stat from the world feed. Active win-loss records on grass. Most wins in order. Top 10. Murray 1, Djokovic 2, Lopez 3, Chilich 4, Nadal 5, Gasquet 6, Mahout 7, Manorino 8, Isner 9, Verdasco 10. Verdasco, by the way, 51 victories. He's played 95 total matches. Is any one of those men outside of Novak Djokovic a prohibitive top five contender at this year's Wimbledon? Look, I love Andy Murray as much as the next person, but he's not a prohibitive top 5 contender entering Wimbledon. It's wide open. Like it, uh, outside of Djokovic, both men's and women's sides, wide open. And that's what's going to make it a really fun third year uh, uh third major of the year. It's also July, you know, unless you love baseball, basketball's not going, hockey's not going, of course, college and professional football have yet to begin. Wimbledon's the opportunity, it's on the the tournament is on ESPN, Wimbledon's the opportunity for the tennis, not to have a monopoly on the sporting calendar, but to get everyone's attention, and it's going to be fascinating to see what happens throughout the course of the Wimbledon with that attention available, because there might be upsets, there might be drama, dare I say, in the best sort of way, and I think that's what we root for as tennis fans. So that's your opening here on today's show. I might start doing more of that. I might start working in a new segment as well, five things you need to know from the day just to perhaps organize and restructure, repurpose this mini break. Maybe that's just what we'll do. We'll refresh things as we head into the back half of the calendar post-Wimbledon. But yeah. There's your opening monologue. Again, on today's show, we'll rapid fire through all the results we saw. Quarterfinal Friday at in London, in Halle in Birmingham. Again, rain wiping out play in Berlin. But I want to recap all the action, offer my observation on all we saw unfold. Of course, the reason we're able to do that – day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And if you're looking for more content, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, Great Shot podcast feed for our ATP and WTA award shows with David Kane. we also have relaunched or resumed, I suppose, The Breakpoint Show, where our dear friend Gil Gross and I break down every episode of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint. Our first episode of the second half covering episode six, now available. I believe that episode's called Belonging. Um, you can listen to it via the podcast or you can go watch myself and Gil have the conversation on Gil's YouTube channel so plenty of content to keep all of you tennis fans occupied entertained throughout the course of the weekend and Perhaps best of all, we got tennis for you here at Cracked Rackets. USTA SoCal Pro Series rocking and rolling our action picks up 1 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. We have our men's women's singles semifinals, doubles finals on Saturday. We then have our men's women's singles finals for you all on Sunday. So that's what's up here at Cracked Rackets. All that content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to all the podcasts. Share them, if you will. ...with your friends as well. Shout out, as always, to Westoff, who makes it all happen. Shout out to the support we get at Tennis Point, And you all know the deal, so keep it brief. Best equipment, best prices, tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. All right. Everything established. Let's get into Friday's action on the ATP and WTA tours. We'll start with what we saw unfold in London I mean, what was most significant on the day? Is it that the machine, Carlos Alcaraz, is slowly learning? He earns a 4-4 victory over Grigor Dimitrov. I mean, the weight of the Alcaraz shot on this surface. It just pushes you on your back foot. Now all of a sudden you're slipping. You're sliding Credit to Grigor Dimitrov, played extraordinarily aggressive tennis. He tried to take it to Carlos Alcaraz, which it feels like this surface will allow you to do in a way no other surface could, because it's just that much harder for him to find his footing, run around balls, hit the forehand as easily as he does elsewhere on that ad side. You know, Dimitrov went up a break, three-one in the third, uh, in the second set, and. Then the machine started firing, and oh, the weight of his cross court forehand, his ability to take that ball almost half scoop on the rise and yet accelerate through his ground stroke, redirect that ball. You know, he faced a break point in the first set. It was, I believe, 3 2, 30 40. And there's a long physical rally. If you're Grigor Dimitrov, you'll look at the film. You'll say, "Why didn't I move in behind one backhand slice opportunity that he really could have hit a? He hit a good slice behind it. Would have been a tough pass for Alcaraz. Grigor just a little hesitant there. You can understand why. It's Carlos freaking Alcaraz on the other side of the net. Alcaraz though regains. It becomes neutral in the rally. He gets the opportunity to run around, find a forehand, and hits this ridiculous inside-out drop shot. He's learning, and he's comfortable serving and volleying. He's comfortable protecting his first serve. You look at the stats from this match for Alcaraz. Was he exceptional? No. Was he high percentage? Yes. He made 73%... Of his first serves, won 69% of those first serve points. Fought off six of the eight break points that he faced, but perhaps most impressively, four of six on break point chances. Won two thirds of his second serve return points, and whenever he got a look at a first forehand, again the weight of that shot for opponents to deal to not only make that uh, make a response, but recover from that response. It just allows Alcaraz to be on his front foot, which of course, where he is always so lethal and at his best, four and four for Alcaraz over Dimitrov, first grass court semifinal of his career. Of course, it's his first non-Wimbledon grass court event of his career. Alcaraz was what? Four and two overall on grass courts coming into the week. He's now six and two overall on grass courts uh, entering the semifinals. And I mean, look, it's going to be a true test for Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinals as he's taken on a guy who's beaten him before on a more advantageous surface for Alcaraz in Sebastian Corda. Corda, magnificent today in a four and six victory over Cam Norrie. And I was having this conversation with my former doubles partner, Partner in Crime, and Great Shot Podcast co founder, Cracked Rackets co founder, Max Rothman. There are times. When Sebastian Corda will load on his shoulder, he'll keep that shoulder closed, and at the last second, he'll open up and just redirect the forehand down the line. And as a tennis fan, you just sit there and go, "Yes, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's the weight. That's the transfer. Uh, the transfer of weight. That's the balance you're supposed to maintain. That's the follow through and the racket speed you're supposed to sustain through the motion." When Sebastian Corda is healthy. I don't I, look. Many break listeners and longtime crack rackets listeners know. In our predictions podcast back in December with Ben Rothenberg, I said I thought Seppi Quinter was going to end the year as the highest ranked American male, and after he makes the final uh, in Adelaide and has a shot at beating Novak Djokovic, you know, serve for I believe had match point if not serve for the match, reaches the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, beating Medvedev along the way, and then is injured and out for. You know, coming out of that January, he looks like a top 10 player. And then he's out for February. He's out for March. He plays one match in April, a first-round loss in Madrid, first-round loss in Rome, second-round loss in Roland Garros. But, of course, this whole time, during that month's stretch, he's trying to regain his footing through injury. He looks healthy. And whenever he's looked healthy this year, he has played at a top 10 level. And now, again, he's been healthy for three weeks total but in those three weeks, Finals Adelaide beats Sinner, beats RBA, beats Murray there. Quarters Australia beats Hercats, beats Medvedev there. Now semis in London beats Evans, which on a grass court is not easy even if Evans is playing poorly. Beats Tiafo who's coming off of a title last week. Now a 4-6 victory over Nori. In what is essentially a home match for Nori, perhaps most impressively, Korda only made 52%, 53% of his first serves in this match. Now he won 85% of his first serve points, only faced three break points, fought off two of them. It was the return of serve. It's that the moment you sit a ball up, Sebi Korda pounces. And again, the weight of his shot The drive on his backhand, how low that ball stays, his ability to redirect pace and use his size and use his body to redirect that pace while in an advantageous and, dare I say, aggressive position on the court. He just is so good at taking time away on this surface and, again, structurally so sound on the return of serve with the big uh, serve to back it up and a willingness to move forward. I thought he was going to be the top-ranked American for a reason. I have long and will forever remain on the Seppi bandwagon. And weeks like this are why, again, health has always been an issue for Sebi Corda, But when he's healthy, he's always played this sort of tennis relative to his peers. And his peers are now the best of the best in the world. And so, again, a 4-6 and six victory over Cam Nori. Quarters backhand is just made-to-face lefties. But now he gets the test of tests, right, in Carlos Alcaraz. Fourth career matchup in the head-to-head. Alcaraz two-one overall. Coria beat him in Monte Carlo last year. Alcaraz got his revenge at the French last season as well. They've never played on grass courts. It's gonna be fun. Let's have ourselves a day and like that. that sorry for the like. It slipped in again. That that match is the head or that that match is the headliner. Is the only reason Holger Rune versus Alex Diemenauer, which is just athleticism. So much movement. Ugh, that match is going to be as physical as grass court tennis can be. Demon, 6-4, 4-6, 6-4. The ultimate litmus test over Adrian Manorino again. Eighth most wins act amongst active players on grass courts on the ATP tour. The The sequence of passing shots Demon hit for, uh, for 30-40 for and then for, to secure the break against Manorino in the third set. Djokovician. Murray-esque in terms of movement and physicality displayed on a grass court. Demon has that switch to him. He's hitting his backhand a little more aggressively. He's taking advantage of open space. He's continued to progress as a server, even if he will never have the eye-popping serve of a Korda, of a Medvedev, even a Zverev, Tsitsipas, all the big guys. Demon was physical. It was excellent. Six-four in the third over Manorino. And look, Runa played good ball today as well in a 4-5 and five victory over Lorenzo Musetti. And for those that didn't see Musetti snipes Runa with an overhead. There was an exchange. You know, Musetti works his way to the net. He hits a volley that hangs short. Runa goes right back down the center. Musetti able to have the reaction time to redirect that volley. It pushes Runa back. He fires up a sky lob, kind of fakes he was going to sprint one way. So Musetti just takes a big overhead cut down the center. It ends up hitting Runa. It was not, there was no ill intent. There was no He did not hit that overhead with the intention of hitting Holgeruna. He hit that overhead with the intention of winning the freaking point. And you can't knock that. Did it hit Holgeruna? Yes. Would you have liked to see Musetti hold the apology maybe a fraction longer? Sure. There was no ill intent. The hand immediately went up. He did apologize. It was the right play on a grass court. You get a guy leaning. Now he's got to lean behind him, change directions, which is just impossible to do. It's also the highest percentage play. Just hit the smash as hard as possible down the center of the court. Musetti did an excellent job of baiting Runa into playing aggressive tennis throughout the course of the match. But look, Runa was really good. I mean, Runa took the bait. Runa was Better at being the aggressor than Musetti in this match. It's that simple. Runa wins, uh, fights off three of the four break points that he faced. He wins over 50% of his second serve points. Meanwhile, for Musetti, he only won 28% of his second serve points. Now, didn't end up hitting a bunch of second serves, but the difference between the two is when Musetti hits something short, and Runa chose to move forward, Runa was more efficient and better at executing that game style of moving forward. Now, Musetti moves as well as just about anyone right now on these grass courts, and maybe just about anyone as well more broadly. He struggled to create offense, particularly with his forehand. It felt like the forehand betrayed him today. And that's ultimately why Runa was able to earn the victory. There were just a couple of loose breaks for Lorenzo Musetti, particularly spraying him. you know, he went up an early break. What was it? 4-1, I want to say. But a single break – was it 4-1 in a single break of serve or was it 3-1? I think it was 3-1 single break of serve. Runa goes – Break, hold, break to take a 4-3 lead from there and run away with the first set. And it was because for three straight games, Musetti felt the need to create more with his forehand as Runa pushed him on the back foot. And I believe it was, I counted five forehand errors during that stretch for Lorenzo Musetti, where he tried to be the aggressor, but the forehand just wasn't quite ready to do that on this surface because of the nature of his backswing. And so, look, Holger is just good. It doesn't matter the surface. It's another semifinal for Holger Una, who just quietly sitting at fifth in the points race at 20 years old, remarkably impressive. He is one of the guys who ranks top 15 and top 20, excuse me, in both hold and break percentage, one of just seven guys you can say that about. And it matches what you see with your eyes. He's fluid. There's not a shot in the books he can't hit. It's going to be a really fun set of matches tomorrow. And for what it's worth, again, Runa 2-1 head-to-head over Demon. Demon a 58.1% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, given the Delta in their grass court experience. Now, neither Alcaraz nor Corda have played a ton of grass court matches, so Alcaraz is 73.1% favorite. That's not shocking, but pay attention. That continues to be the theme. Because regardless of surface— Alcaraz, Runa, Corda—the you know that's next gen 2.0. All all 21st century guys. All in one championship weekend. Sign me up for that, regardless of surface, regardless of where it's taking place. For what it's worth, though, it is taking place in London. And for what it's worth, Alcaraz still the favorite, 46.8% to capture the title, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast. That is what's going on or what's happening in London entering semifinals Saturday. Let's move over next to Hala to assess the situation there. It's where we saw our upsets on the day. Now, is it an upset when Roberto Bautista Ogu knocks out Daniil Medvedev? Bautista Ogu now 5-2 and two in the career head-to-head against Medvedev. And, you know, again, he just has the discipline. And, look, I'm not saying I am an old man, but and I'm not saying Roberto Bautista Ogu is an old man either, but the older you get, the thing I have noticed in tennis is it's not about the rhythm. Or excuse me, it's not about the shots themselves and the ability to hit the ball the way you want to hit it when you are comfortable. The problem with getting older is being comfortable on court, is moving to the ball and having your feet set and being in the right scenario and situation to where you can find that rhythm that just used to be so easy to find when you played every day or you played four or five times a week at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old when you're younger. And it's just, again, it's so routine. Look, it's still very routine for RBA, but You can tell it's a little harder for him when he's playing a guy who can push him with significant pace to find that rhythm. That said, why do I bring all that up? Against Adino Medvedev, he's going to give you rhythm. He's going to give you the ball right back in the same spot over and over again and dare you to be aggressive and you know, dare you to, again, play at his pace and try to slow things and play at a pace where things are slowed down, excuse me. And that's exactly what the doctor ordered for Roberto Bautista Gu, who was able to work his way into the match physically after going down an early break to Medvedev, who was plenty fine exchanging 10, 12 backhands throughout the course of a rally before he got the exact right short ball to run around and play inside in with his forehand, play the drop shot, get Medvedev on the full sprint. Medvedev was too tentative. In what was a really tight match, 5-6 and overall, the difference was RBA's willingness, again, to play something aggressive from that ad side, particularly a forehand, and to follow it forward. He was just far better at doing it. And again, he has the particular patience, the particular game style that forces Daniil Medvedev to have to create in a way that he's never quite been comfortable or elite at doing, Matt have also just didn't quite serve well enough. well, he kind of did serve well enough today. You know again, it was a five and six match. It was a one hour 53 minute grass court two set match about as physical as grass court tennis could be. He just didn't have the elite weapon or it wasn't firing on this day. And so it's a credit to RBA. five and six played a really smart breaker. Into a, I believe his first semifinal. I mentioned it, it's his first quarterfinal since January. Now it's his first semifinal since January as well. A nice boost to the confidence for RBA, who's four and four in the, his career against his semifinal opponent in Andre Rublev. Rublev three six six three six four. Ugh, it was really good tennis between he and Talon Greek spore. Again, Greek spore. If there's any takeaway, Greek sport is not on the top ten list. But if you listen to the ATP awards show, you'll hear a lot of Greek sport talk. And when we get to our Wimbledon dark horse lists, I promise you, Talon Greek sport will make another appearance as well. He just he has it—an ability to play good tennis on this surface in a way so many unfortunately aren't. And yet, the heaviness of the Rublev forehand, the physicality Rublev brings to every match, the depth of his backhand. It was good enough. Again, you have to play your best to beat Andre Rublev. And you could just see Greek Sport just ran out of a little bit of gas, particularly in set number two. Rublev through and three, 4 4 career had dead between him and RBA. Rublev a 55.8% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. That's going to be fun, as will be the battle of the Sashas. Now, You hope for Yannick Sinner, who really was struggling to move at the end of his second set, that the injury, whatever he sustained against Sasha Bublik today, won't linger until Wimbledon. Of course, Bublik threw to a semifinal. He had struggled all season long. And, you know, now with this result, he's back up nine spots, number 39 in the rankings, and he'll get to play everything he wants this summer. I mean, his serve, his creativity, when he locks in, he can be really good. On this surface just because he has the weapons and he has that ability to move forward and he has the size as well that's rewarded on this surface and so as does Sasha Zverev and the highest compliment I can offer Sasha Zverev again after a five and three victory over Nikolas Yari he looks like himself again some of the forehand passes he snaked by Yari today just ridiculous again The biggest benefit to his tennis game from the ankle injury was he had to learn how to move forward. He had to learn how to shorten points in those first few months back on the tour when physically he wasn't where he needed to be. Now physically he is inching closer and closer to where he always was, which is one of the elite movers on the ATP tour. Found the backhand of Yari, looked comfortable moving forward, served well enough, moving well he just looks like him he looks like a top 10 player again like that's i I went into this whole rant with dk as well but there's like 14 top 10 quality players right now on the atp tour and again svirov has no points to defend the rest of the season he's currently sitting at 21 in the live rankings he's currently sitting at 12 in the points race I would be shocked if, again, by the end of November, Sasha Zverev does not find himself back in the top eight, if not certainly the top 10 of the ATP tour. Zverev, Bublik, 2-1 head-to-head for Bublik for what it's worth. Zverev, 56.7% favorite. Again, on these grass courts, the speed of the surface. Bublik's had success on this surface before. Maybe not always in Europe, but certainly in Newport over the years. Yeah, Bublik, Zverev, RBA, Rublev's a fun set of semifinals as well. And it feels like they're the undercard event, given what's going on in London. No, uh, uh, given the starts, excuse me, uh, RBA 24.9% favorite to, excuse me, Rublev 34.6% favorite to win the title. RBA 24.9, Zverev 24.5, Bublik 15.9. That's where things stand entering championship weekend and uh, semifinals Saturday in Halle. Last but certainly not least, let's talk through the WTA action and where things stand. Again, nothing in Berlin today, rain wiping that away, but just a quick reminder of your quarterfinal matchups there because they are going to be very fun. You've got Kudermatova Alexandrova, Garcia Kovitova, Sakari, Ivan and then the young Russian Avanisian taking on Donna Vekic. In Birmingham, your semifinals are set, and I really like our bottom matchup, Anast- Anastasia Potapova had to play really good tennis to get through Harriet Dart and Dart by the way did get a Wimbledon wild card again if she beats a seed it shouldn't shock anyone she's now 13 and 6 i believe overall on grass court since the start of last season following her 6-4 in the third loss to Potapova today but she did plenty of dictating she went stroke for stroke with Potapova who hit a backhand pass to secure a break in the third in the third that just Maybe five players are capable of hitting on this surface right now on the WTA Tour. And I remain very bullish on Potapova moving forward. I don't know if she's a Tier 1 WTA prospect, but I do think she can be no lower than Tier 2 anymore. The 22-year-old just has the athleticism. She has the weapons from the ground. The serve has continued to make progress, and there's just that fight That tenacity, that willingness to go down swinging on her terms, you need that if you're going to take on Yelena Ostapenko, who she will tomorrow, Ostapenko, 6-2 in the third over Magdalena Freak, who just simply put, made Ostapenko earn it. That is an explosive match. Potapova, Ostapenko, first career head-to-head, Ostapenko, 71.6% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, that's just, again, given the massive delta between the two, but Talk me out of a Potapova, given what I've seen in her wins over Kostyuk, her win now uh, over Katie McNally, her win over Harriet Dart. All the matches have been extraordinarily close, 6-4 in the third, 7-6 in the third, 6-4 in the third. It's going to be really close at Wimbledon. And again, confidence being key, skill set being key, comfort level as a mover being key. Potapova has all of those things has to be on the short list, not of like top five contenders, but sorry, it's because I'm recording this podcast late that the likes are slipping in. Top 10 contenders, I would say overall. Potapova, Ostapenko might be my favorite. Uh, I mean... It's got to be Alcaraz Corda, but Potapova-Ostapenko is two on my fa- on my list of favorite semifinal matches we will see throughout the course of Saturday on the ATP and WTA tours, because obviously USTA SoCal Pro Series on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, which by the way, 2 p.m. Eastern, not 1 p.m. Eastern start on Saturday. Those are my favorite semifinals of the day, but that's the action in Birmingham. I should say top half of the draw good job alex barbara Krejcikova, 3 and 2 over linda fruvertova in today's quarterfinal uh, she just found the fruvertova forehand and fruvertova she has gotten better and better as a mover already so early in her career her the drive on her backhand is exceptional she She just has the fight. You can just tell she wants it, which I know that's such an arbitrary thing, but the way she stays composed, the way she goes after every shot and every rally, never quits on a ball, it's the things you want to see from any teenager on the tour. And look, the credit was to Krechakova. Fruvertova, a little bigger backswing on the forehand side. That's where, if you can pressure her with pace, the errors will come. Krechakova identified that she played with such safe margins, everything was so measured. For Barbara Krejcikova, that's always the word I come back to with her. And, you know, again, 3-2 and two victory, protected her serve well, reaches her first semifinal of her career on grass courts. Very winnable match tomorrow against the Ju Lin who reached her first semifinal, I believe, since her hard court runs back in January and February, 6-2 in the third over Rebecca Marino. You look for Ju Lin now. She's all the way back up to a new career high, number 33 in the live rankings. Not too shabby. For the 29-year-old from China, again, she'll get a shot at Krejcikova tomorrow, according to Tennis Abstract. Ostapenko, 51.9% chance of winning the event. Uh, then Kredge, then Potapova. Kredge, of 78% favorite tomorrow. Ostapenko, again, 71.6%. you have got that. You've got the Berlin quarterfinals. And then worth pointing out, the WTA 125. You, If you're looking for two young Americans to keep an eye on on the WTA Tour, I've done a lot of Ashlyn Krueger talk over the past couple of weeks on this show. I just think the former San Diego champion has the weapons, has the size. Has the mindset, well, she reaches the semifinals of this 125 event, and as such, the 19-year-old up to a new career high, number 134 in the rankings, 2 and one victory for her over Stefanini today. Uh, she's going to take on another talented young American in Robin Montgomery, the 18-year-old American, former top junior in the world. She's up to a new career high, number 146 in the live rankings after reaching these semifinals. Kruger 2-0 in the career head-to-head on the pro circuit. It's just one to watch. You keep an eye on that. For what it's worth, if Ashlyn Kruger wins the event this week, she'll jump all the way up to number 106, 108, excuse me, in the live rankings. A Montgomery victory will take her all the way up to number 127. Teenage Americans on top 100. Watch you throw them in with Players like Stearns, Navarro, just coming from college, who have recently cracked the top 100. Katie Nets of course, cracking the top 100. You've got players like Sonia Kennan, Amanda Nisimova, who have fallen out of the top 100, but are still you know, 24 years old. In the case of Nisimova, I think she's still 21 years old. Obviously, Coco Gauff leading all of them at the top of the list. Don't think I forgot about her. There's a lot of talented young Americans, Katie McNally, another one you could throw on that list. There's a lot of talented young Americans right now on the WTA Tour, and you're seeing two of them, Montgomery Kruger, compete at the 125K level. So if you see that match pop up on wherever you watch your tennis, maybe give it a quick gander. and You just don't want to miss out on two potential young stars as they make their ascension. With that said, that's where things stand. Enter, entering and approaching semifinal Saturday. Of course, hopefully we'll be back at some point this weekend to talk about all of the action. If not, we'll recap it all on Monday's podcast. Of course, again, we got tennis for you all this weekend. USTA SoCal Pro Series, those ITF 15K Pro Circuit events. Saturday, Sunday, we'll have coverage starting 2 p.m. Eastern time on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an ending job he does day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out as well to our dear friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both Crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break that's the break. Leave it in, but that's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.